You are listening to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. Our vision is to treasure Christ above all else and live for more. All 12 chapters in the book of Daniel, we already walked through the first uh, chapter. Lucas did, an, I thought, an amazing job last week. Um, the podcast is not up yet. My bad. I will put it up this week. So if you haven't, um, you know, listen to this, this uh, first chapter, I really urge you to listen to it. Lucas did a fabulous job. What an awesome intro to the book. Um, so let's do a little bit of a recap from chapter one to get us caught up for chapter two, okay? So Daniel chapter one, the year is 605 BC, uh, give or take a few years, depending on which commentary you're reading, but let's go with 605 BC. There's a nation called Babylon. It is ruled by a godless man by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, uh, this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, simply put, is a counterfeit of God's kingdom. And this king, Nebuchadnezzar, is the counterfeit Jesus. Um, so after 490, 490, so 490 years of patience, God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon to invade and overtake uh, the nation of Israel, God's children, because they rebelled against God and they just wouldn't come to their senses. So God allowed Babylon in the greatest kingdom of that time, some say the greatest kingdom ever to, uh, to be on planet earth, to conquer them, to plunder the temple and to take them as slaves in exile. Now today we would call this human trafficking or we would call them uh, prisoners of war. By the way, this would have been literally hell on earth. I know that we read stuff like this. We're like, yeah, yeah, they were taken exile. No, no, no. This would have been literally hell on earth. The 700-mile walk was made by the children of God, including some young men who had high IQ, high EQ. They, they, they were raised in royal families. One of them was Daniel, after whom the book is entitled, is titled, and they are chosen to serve uh, at the king's royal palace. What's interesting to note that these teenage boys that had their whole life ahead of them are castrated and made eunuchs. Later in chapter 1, we find Daniel then is tempted, tested, and tried. They tried to give him a new name that would cause him to have a new religion. Uh, he has to learn a new language. He's a citizen in a new country. They also, um, they also want to change his diet and, and have him eat things that are sacrificed to demo demonic false gods. And so he takes a diet of vegetarianism. Now, let me just summarize it really quickly. Every man who's here and who says, I don't like my life, you got it so good. <laughs> Daniel was a vegetarian eunuch who was taken captive in Babylon. <laughs> Just think about that. You're having a good day, trust me. So Daniel finds himself surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, but he's filled with the spirit of God. And ultimately, ultimately, guys, the battle is not just against flesh and blood. We know that. The Bible tells us that. The battle is uh, but against the powers and the principalities and the spirits, those demonic counterfeits that are at work invisibly through those things that are visibly, right? Now, it is important to note that the spirit of Babylon continues its counterfeit work all the way up until the last book of the Bible, which is Revelation. So we're in the middle of that, right? Or not in the middle, but we're somewhere, yeah, somewhere in the middle of that. Uh, in the closing chapters, it reveals to us, the book of Revelation, 
of, of, of history where Jesus returns and puts down the spirit of Babylon once and for all. Amen to that. So Daniel navigates 69 years of his life. The book opens uh, with Daniel as a teenager and ends with him being in his 80s, somewhere in there. And he navigates life surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, and he navigates by the power of the spirit of God. And it's ultimately a battle between the genuine real spirit of God and this counterfeit spirit of Babylon that we're uh, also experiencing, experiencing today. How do we know that the spirit of Babylon is at work even in our time today? Well, the spirit of Babylon, we see in Daniel chapter 1, seeks to overturn, disrupt, confuse gender, sexuality, marriage, does not want believers to have children and to think, uh, you know, to think like Babylonians, right, uh, and to not become believers. Uh, does, that, does that sound familiar? And overtakes education and universities to brainwash kids to think like the Babylonians. That sounds pretty familiar, doesn't it? So that is Daniel chapter 1. I believe super, super relevant for, for our time today. That's why we chose the book. Uh, well, God's word is timeless in timing, right? So uh, it's, it's awesome that that's the case. So chapter 2, 49 verses. This whole chapter can be broken up into a few major parts. We can do a study on Daniel 2 for a long time, but we got about 45 to 50 minutes today. Uh, so here are the parts, the, the way I split them up with the help of a lot of commentators, a lot of pastors, right? Uh, we have a problem, so we're going to talk about the problem, the prayer, the praise, the prophecy, and the promise, okay? The problem, the prayer, the praise, the prophecy, and the promise. So let's start chapter 2 with the, with the problem. We're not going to read the whole chapter all at once. I hope that's okay with you, but we are going to read chunks of it as we go through it. Um, so let me just read from chapter 2, verses 1 to 3 to kind of start us off for this morning. If you have your Bibles, please open them up. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dream. So they came in and, and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. So King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he's up all night. He's very anxious about this dream, he assembles the equivalent of his White House cabinet, if you may, and he basically tells them, you need to tell me what my dream was and then what it means. It's like, whoa. <laughs> now, let me explain to us a few things. In this chapter, you will hear about Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and then we will learn that this dream is interpreted by a vision that Daniel has later in the chapter. The difference between a dream and a vision uh, or the difference is that a dream is seeing while we're asleep. Vision is seeing while you're awake. Now, when you get a dream or a vision, because I think this is a proper time to kind of say this, the origination is from one of three possible sources. It could be from God. It could be from the devil, from Satan. Or it could be from your own imagination. So just because you have a dream or we think we have a vision, it doesn't mean that we should automatically assume that it is true or, or it's from God. You need to test it. We need to test it. And we know that we need to test it through God's word. And that's our highest authority. Amen. Uh, that it's from the Lord. Uh, right. So it could be from the Lord, from the demonic, or from our own imagination. 
the overarching story here in Daniel chapter 2 is Daniel helping discern by the Spirit of God through a vision what ultimately the dream in fact, in fact meant. And maybe some of us will ask, why does God use these kind of ways to communicate, to reveal himself? Um, I believe it's because people tend to find the Lord in one of two ways. Now, you can say this uh, multiple ways. I chose these specific words. So uh, the Lord can either reveal himself through uh, or speak to a person through a, uh, what I call mental persuasion or intellect, mental persuasion or power. Let me just explain a little bit. Those who find the Lord through mental persuasion, they have mental objections and they have a ton of questions about Christianity, about our faith. So they need evidence and they need facts and they need their questions and objections answered, right? They come to the Lord through mental persuasion. Others come through power, more emotional. I'm sure it's got to do with their personality. I mean, I got healed, you know. I saw an angel or I had a vision. I had a prophecy. Someone walked up to me and said they had a message from God and God spoke to me in a supernatural way. Some people, they want to or they need to have their questions answered. Others, they need to have their problems solved, right? And to see God's supernatural hand at work. Either way, it's God's means of revealing himself to his people. And it's his call on how he's going to do it. It is his call on how he's going to do it. Now, let me just say this uh, important thing about the supernatural works of God. I think this is, this is such an important principle that we need to go after. God's people should not chase signs and wonders. Amen? God's people should not chase signs and wonders. They should chase God. Our focus is God. Our focus is Christ. But as we chase God, signs and wonders might follow us as we follow him. All right? That's, that's the order. That's the principle. And that's the storyline of Daniel. And we believe that God still lives. God still acts and God still speaks in the same way, even in a supernatural way. Amen? So the king brings together his cabinet and he says, okay, guys, I had a dream. And they're like, okay, tell us the dream and we'll try to, you know, uh, we'll, try, we'll try to tell you what it means. The king says, no, we're not going to do that. How about you tell me the dream and then you tell me what it means? Have you ever tried to read someone's mind? Yeah, <laughs> we're not God. We can't do that. So he is giving them an impossible task and maybe he should. Maybe he should because this cabinet is comprised of magicians and enchanters and sorcerers. So maybe they should. That's kind of their field, right? After the king threatens them, that's what the king does. That he's going to essentially torn them limb by limb if they don't interpret the dream. And their whole household would be ruined if they don't tell him his dream and, and what it means. The Chaldeans, and I'm sure by this time they are freaking out of their mind, said to the king, this is their response in verse 10. You can follow with me if you'd like. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there's not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. Like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> what they're saying is you got a problem that's beyond our solution. You have a God-sized problem and we're not God. That's what they're basically saying. So Daniel gets into 
Action two, well, more like he's pulled in, he's brought into the action. They, they took Daniel as an exile, right, made him a slave, made him walk 700 miles approximation, right, turned him into a eunuch, sent him to, to the University of Babylon, right, and all of a sudden the king says, from Daniel's perspective, I'm sick of all you people, let's kill them all. Because in verse 12, he says that all the wise men should be killed if these magicians of mine uh, would not tell me the dream. So Daniel and his friends haven't done anything wrong. They just kind of showed up, and now they're going to be sentenced to death. So it's definitely a crisis. We have a problem. We have a problem. I want to read to you verse 12 with Daniel's response to this problem, this crisis that we see. So verse 12, then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion. He does this in chapter 1, too. I don't know if you've picked that up. Um, here's the point. When you're under pressure, when you're under pressure, you need prudence. Freaking out never helped anyone. <laughs> Screaming, yelling, having a nervous breakdown never helped anyone. Throwing a fit, self-medicating never helped anyone. Never helped anyone, but only made things worse. We need prudence. That's what the Bible says, which is carefulness, caution, discretion, practicality. His life is on, on the line in the lives of many others, the lives of his friends. So Daniel replies with prudence and discretion to Arioch, which we read, this guy is pretty much, uh, you know, the hitman, the killer, uh, right? The king, the king's guard, the Bible says, and says, just give me some time. This is what Daniel says. Just give me some time, and I'm sure I can figure this out. Now, Arioch, the killer, the hitman, was just seeking to execute everyone who asked for more time. And Daniel is asking for the thing that the king would not give anyone else. Just kind of picture that. Here's the point. If you belong to the Lord... And, you are, and if you're serving the Lord, you may get grace where other people only get punishment. Let's talk a little bit about that. Why? So you, so you can show how great you are and how special you are? Nope. So that you may show God's greatness and God's grace. Daniel is asking for the same thing that the godless are. The godless did, and God granted his request. Let's just keep that in mind when we get to a difficult situation in life. Keep that in mind. Keep that in the pocket. I think this would be a good place, and this is a good place to pause for just a second and talk a little bit about how God creates insane counterfeits. We kind of already touched on that. Because this, in a sense, this whole backdrop of this book, Daniel, uh, uh, is, 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 is this, spiritual warfare. That's what it is. God has a kingdom. Babylon is the counterfeit. God has a king, Jesus, Nebuchadnezzar is the counterfeit. God has spirit-filled servants and kids. The counterfeit are demonized magicians, enchanters, and, and uh, Chaldeans. And this is what we learn from the, magi from the magicians and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans' answer to the king. A few things, a few things uh, based on their answer. Number one, counterfeit religion and spirituality does not work when you need it the most. Just think about how they answer. How they answer. Like, I, I, we don't know. We don't, right? And they were, you know, they're, they're supposed, this is, this is their field. They're supposed to kind of guess and, you know, but, but they just can't. Because counterfeit religion and spirituality does not work when you need it most. Most powerful nation, right, an empire, and all of a sudden, they are, they are in crisis. 
Everything works and then it doesn't. Here's the point. People say this all the time. And I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe and, and I don't follow Jesus. I have my own religion. I have my own spirituality. I have my own philosophy and it works for me, okay? Let me tell you, it won't work. You will die and you won't work. You will stand before Jesus to give an account, and anything other than faith in Jesus does not work. Number two, so we're just putting some principles together from, the, from these guys' answer to the king that, I, I don't know, we can't interpret your dream. We don't know what you're dreaming, what you dreamt. Number two, the demonic is very limited. It can only interpret the demonic. Now, if a, if a demon gives a revelation, a demon can interpret that revelation. If a revelation comes from God, no, that's different. A demon cannot interpret that revelation. Only the Spirit of God can interpret it because it comes from the Spirit of God. Don't be surprised when people, uh, you know, do not understand the Bible, when people, you know, don't like the Bible even or, or, or do not make sense of the Bible and they say that it sounds com absolutely confusing. I don't know what you guys are reading uh, because the demonic cannot interpret that which is from the Holy Spirit. They just cannot. Their spiritual eyes are not open. That's where you need the Spirit of God in you to interpret the scriptures that, 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 he, that he has written. And so ultimately, the king gets a message through a dream from the one true God, but he cannot interpret it. Number three, this actually reveals to us the merit of the book. Namely, the total, complete failure of human wisdom to help people understand God in eternity. Seriously. Here's the most powerful man on earth who brings in the most educated people, philosophers, theologians, self-gurus, and people that are super educated with more degrees than Fahrenheit, and they got nothing because ultimately human reasoning apart from the Spirit of God and the power and the Word of God, it is absolutely worthless and unhelpful. That's just the reality of it. Let's transition and continue with the second part, which is prayer. So we looked at there's a problem. There's a problem. A lot of people are probably going to die. And now we have the second part, which is prayer. And Daniel and his friends are in a complicated, life-threatening situation. So there's a problem. And Daniel responds with what? With prayer. Interesting. Let's read verses 17 to 19. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. These are his, their Jewish names. Um, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So again, King Nebuchadnezzar gets a dream while he's asleep, and he is freaking out because no one can tell him the dream or what it means, and he's about to massacre all the wise men in the land, including Daniel and his friends, and Daniel and his friends decide to have a prayer meeting. And what happens afterwards? Daniel gets a vision. Would you look at that? Hmm. This introduces the theme of prayer into the life of Daniel in this amazing book. You'll also see it in chapter 6, verse 10, that he, he, was, he was praying three times a day, and he does it so publicly, and he gets in trouble. We're going we're gonna to get there in a few weeks. 
Also, we see the theme of prayer running in chapter 9, and we see a lengthy prayer from Daniel again. So what do we learn from this? How does Daniel make it through Babylon? This horrible situation, this horrible, you know, circumstance in life. By praying. By praying. In any military combat, as you're down on the front lines, you can lose sight of what is happening. You just can't. You're not sure of the entire battle plan, so you call in into headquarters because they have a, better, a bigger perspective. And they give you directives to navigate through your battle zone. Prayer is the communication line to the commander-in-chief. Prayer is how we ask God, okay, God, you see what I do not see. You know what I do not know. Tell me how to obey you and make it through my, ba my battle in Babylon. And by the way, and by the way, friends, this is where urgency and crises fuels prayer. Ooh. I'm convinced, just looking at my life, maybe the shoe fits. I'm convinced that one of the reasons that I do not pray much is because I'm not feeling much urgency. When there's a crisis, you pray differently. You just do. You need to know that there, there's always, for the children of God, friends, there, there should be a sense of urgency, always. We need God desperately. We need God continually. And so what do we see here is that, is that we see that Daniel doesn't respond with panic, anxiety, fear. He doesn't, whereas Nebuchadnezzar, he's up all night just freaking out. The psalmist says that the Lord gives his beloved sleep. God's children do not rely on their intelligence, their experience, and their education. We just do not. Daniel here doesn't melt down. He doesn't just opinion poll everyone else. He just literally calls God something that we forget in crisis. Like, oh, let me just, you know, pick up the phone. Let me call him and her. What about God? He just literally calls God with his friends. They have church and they are invoking the God of heaven. Please tell us what you want us to do. Just tell, just, I'll just say that this was Daniel's D group. This is where I'm going to sell D groups to all of you that are not attending D groups. <laughs> but serious, close friends where you do life. By the way, we just finished this semester of D groups this week. We're going to do things a little bit differently starting September. And I just want to get you excited about that. But this is Daniel's D group where they do life, where they pray together, right? So let me just say this as a principle that we see here. You need your crew before your crisis. You need your crew before your crisis. Daniel has his buddies to call and they, and they come over and pray. Why? Because this is what they always do. <laughs> this is not the first time that they get together to pray in a house, but this was an urgent time for them to pray together. The problem that many of us, we have we don't have a crew and then we have a crisis. We don't have a church that we belong to that we're heavily involved in, in, in right? And then we get, and then something happens, something big happens. Then we get on the phone and we call the church and we run for help because everything is falling apart. Okay, we love people like that, don't we, right? We love everyone. We love people like that. But here's what you need to know. We can microwave Costco 
delicious Costco food in a way that we cannot microwave relationships. That's just the reality of things. The reality is that Daniel has deep, significant relationships. And he's got godly friends that he can invite to walk with him in prayer. And to see God's face with him in prayer. You need that. I need that. We need each other. You need that before the crisis comes. The problem, the prayer, and now the praise. The problem, the prayer, and now the praise. Let's continue and read the, sec- the third part, the second part of the verse 19 onward as we transition to the third part, uh, which is the praise. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Let me ask you this. Could Daniel have complained to the God of heavens? Could he have complained? God, I'm in Babylon, not home. What's this? Far away from home, I'm a eunuch. They castrated me. Not what I was hoping. Not what I was going for. I'm going to the University of Babylon. I have a minor in witchcraft or whatever. They're forcing me, right? And I didn't even do anything. But here's what he does. He blesses God. He blesses God. It doesn't matter how bad you've got it. Daniel had it worse. And if he can find something to praise God for, there's always something to praise God for. Well, just so you know, we're in section three, the praise. Let's just read a little bit more. Verses 24 to 28. Therefore, Daniel went in into Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in, in, in Daniel before the king in haste and, and said thus to him, I, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who, who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king was asked. But there's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. So Daniel finds himself in the divine room of King Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel is walking right into enemy territory right here, and he does it fearlessly because he has faith in the God that has brought him up to that point. But here's what we saw previously. Daniel was home, very interesting, was home with his friends having church. Let's not forget that, right? And he was praying on his knees, and now he's standing before a king, the most powerful king at that, at that point. The reason that Daniel could stand before the king is because he knelt before the king of kings. Everyone can come, you know, everyone that came into the divine room, right, of King Nebuchadnezzar uh, had to kneel down to worship the king. That was just, you had to. (laughs) Daniel's already been in the real throne room, so he's not impressed with a counterfeit. And he doesn't kneel to the counterfeit king. He actually stands, he stands before this earthly king because he's already knelt to the real king, King Jesus. There's a lot in there. This is where your prayer life sets up 
the rest of your life. This is where my prayer life sets up the rest of my life. And let me just say this. God speaks to Daniel and his friends as they pray and worship. God does that in prayer. Let me just spell it out for us. Divine revelation from God. Breakthroughs from God, if you want to use that terminology. Come in the context of prayer and praise. Not when we're complaining. Not when we're preoccupied and busy and distracted. This is why if you want to hear from God, if you want to spend time in prayer and, and worship, that, that if you want to hear God, you got to spend time in prayer and praise. It's, it's where we visit the un, unseen realm. We invite the presence of God. We access the throne room of God. And God gives encouragement and peace and strength and direction. And the ultimate reason is that God would get the glory and we get the joy. That, that, that's right there. We need to understand that. I need to understand that. So there's a problem. There's prayer. The response, right? There's praise now. Drum roll. There is a prophecy. And this is the next section of this chapter that we're, we're going to look at. The prophecy. Prophecy is where God tells us the future so that we can prepare for the future. That's mainly the function of prophecy. 20% of the Bible, when it was written, was prophetic, predicting the future that God rules over. Here's what he says, starting in verse 31. You saw, O king, and behold, a great image. The image mighty and of exceeding brightness stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs, of, uh, thighs of, of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, the stone was cut out, of, cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. You're probably like, what? What is this? What's happening here? This is beautiful. If you study just a little bit, it is absolutely fascinating what's happening here. Daniel is telling the king his dream. And he's prophesying by interpreting the dream. And he's prophesying basically human history human history. Through this frightening, immense image that King Nebuchadnezzar saw, an image that is formed of different kind of materials, namely gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. Now, let me just say this. God's perspective, the Bible's perspective, is that we are getting worse, not better, as human beings. And every generation is less like God intended and created us to be. The counterfeit of that is evolution. And evolution says that we are getting better and becoming more like God or gods. The truth is that we are not evolving but going the other way. It's because the, the, the way human beings, the way we treat one another is only increasing in evil. That's not what God intends, but that's just what sin does and what evil does and what we do. And what Daniel is doing here, he is telling us about human history, how we behave there's a cyclical thing going on and, and how these four kingdoms that he speaks of, even though it may seem that they have everything figured out, 
they in fact show the depravity of men and kings and wealth and earthly kingdoms. In our world today, and I'm going to explain, I said four kingdoms, I know I'm going to explain that. In our world today, there are about 200 sovereign states in the world that have fixed boundaries. In the ancient world, these boundaries were very, very flexible. If this king could conquer this king, he could take all the land, enslave all the people, and take all the plunder. If anything was a constant in that time, it was definitely war and plunder, right? So Daniel is prophesying here human history and how God works even through political upheaval and also social and political crisis. Now what I'm going to share with you are four kingdoms that I believe Daniel prophesies about in these verses. And then I'm going to share with you and talk about the kingdom of God and I believe he, he mentions that also. But before that, I have a disclaimer, quite a big disclaimer to share with you. We have certain issues, certain things that we talk in church and we preach about that are, are in the open hand. And, and some that are in the closed hand, quite a few. And praise God for that. And I'll explain what that means. This specific historical prophecy, it's in the open hand, I believe. Meaning I'm okay if you have a different take on this. But at the very end, we're going to talk about the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That's in the closed hand, meaning we cannot have a different take on that. If that's the case, we may not be Christian. So here's the dream of Nebuchadnezzar and the vision and the interpretation of Daniel. And what he's talking about here is a succession of empires. The Babylonian Empire, Medo-Persian Empire, Greek Empire, and Roman Empire. Exactly in that order. So starting with verse 36 and all the way to verse 45, Daniel is pretty much describing these four kingdoms that are represented by their respective material, gold, silver, bronze, iron, and clay. And he starts with the Babylonian Empire. I would absolutely love to be able to have the time to go in more detail through all of these verses and all four kingdoms, but unfortunately, we do not have that time. But I'll say this. I think one of the overarching reasons of why we have this in, our, in the book of Daniel is that we would again realize that God is the sovereign God of the universe. That's it. And the fact that he rules and the fact that God reigns and is above all kingdoms and all kings and all dominions. Additionally, it is very interesting to observe again. The depravity of men, thinking they could rise the level of God by their wealth, power, and immense kingdoms. But they simply cannot. Instead, God uses their evil plans to further his great plan. Additionally, and we have to listen to this, additionally, we have to listen to this, guys. God's people are always taken care of. No matter who is king on earth, and no matter how big their kingdom is here on earth. Did we get that? God takes care of us. We need to know that God specifically controls the events of human history. So eventually all these mighty kingdoms that, that Daniel, you know, talks about, they crumble and fall. That's another point of this. The point is this, the nation that conquered the earth could not control itself. What is true of the Roman Empire, the last empire that he talks about, and every other kingdom before is true of you and I. That you can conquer people and things. But controlling yourself is the hardest mission that you have during the course of your life. 
speaking of God being in control and using these kingdoms to further his plan, the whole point of the Roman Empire was to pave the way for who? For Jesus Christ. It is absolutely fascinating if you open up and actually study in detail. But we're going to just talk a little bit about the Roman Empire. The whole point of prophecy, the whole point of history is Jesus Christ. And it was the Roman Empire, I believe the last empire that Daniel talks about, that was ruling and reigning at the time of the birth of Jesus. And it was the Roman Empire that called for a census, right? That compelled and caused Jesus' parents to leave their hometown of Nazareth. And ultimately go to Bethlehem, which was their family of origins. It was the Roman Empire that ultimately, through its government, brought charges against Jesus, arrested Jesus, executed Jesus through crucifixion, and buried Jesus. And put in front of his burial tomb a stone with the inscription and the insignia of the Roman Empire. Up until the Roman Empire... You read history. Up until the Roman Empire, these various nations and clans and tribes were always at war and were disconnected. They were so disconnected. What the Roman government brought is Pax Romana. I'm not sure if you've heard about that. It's called the Roman peace. Furthermore, it brought into existence a road system not unlike our modern highways. It was a lot like our modern highways that connected all these people groups so that when Jesus lived and Jesus died and Jesus rose, the news of the resurrection of our King Jesus could be sent to the nations of all earth under the sponsorship and support of Roman peace and the Roman road system. That is absolutely, it's absolutely fascinating how God works. None of that was possible in the history of the world until that, until that day. Had Jesus died and, and, and risen previously, the news wouldn't have been contained. It wouldn't have been released to the nations. God could have chosen a different way, sure. Absolutely. You and I are here in Garden City because Jesus lived, died, and rose during the Roman Empire. And the message has made it all the way here to Garden City. Simply put, the God who wrote the world rules the world. We teach little kids this song. He's got the whole world in his hands. It's true. In the hands of Jesus is all of human history. The promise. The promise. This is my favorite part. Let's continue with the next section, the promise, and let's read verses 44 to 45. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that, never, that shall never be destroyed. This is, this is really beautiful. Nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to a, an end. And it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand. And that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain and its interpretation sure. I think that at the beginning of this verse 44, Daniel is talking about the first coming of Jesus Christ during the Roman Empire. It's already happened, right? And then later in the verse, he's transitioning to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It seems to indicate that the spirit of Babylon is going to seek to reassemble a counterfeit kingdom. They're going to scramble 
And basically, Jesus will say, I've had enough. I'm coming down now and squish every kingdom. It's very interesting to me that once Daniel gets a word from God, he's fearless. He's absolutely fearless. He's not going to negotiate or edit right, the word of God for Nebuchadnezzar. Do you think Nebuchadnezzar liked what he heard? No, but he was the truth. It's the truth, and what Daniel is, is talking about here is a kingdom will come when a stone, right, a stone comes and crushes all the other nations. It's a stone, it says, not caught by human hands. Who is that stone that Daniel is talking about? We just sang about the cornerstone. We sang about the cornerstone, Jesus. The Bible speaks about this in Psalms even. It speaks about it in the Gospels. It speaks about it in the book of Ephesians that Jesus Christ is our cornerstone. The stone the builders have rejected has become the capstone. All the other nations rejected Jesus. And the cornerstone is where you would begin to build a building. It was small. The cornerstone was really small. But it was significant because if the cornerstone was wrongly set, then everything built upon it, it would be crooked and it would eventually tumble and fall. And the prophecy that was given to Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted by God through Daniel was this. Anything that isn't founded on Jesus comes down and it doesn't work. Ultimately, it collapses and crumbles. So the point is this. Start your day with Jesus. Let him be your cornerstone. Lay your foundation of mourning on him. Start your family with Jesus. Start your marriage with Jesus. Start your parenting with Jesus. Start your business with Jesus. Start your schedule with Jesus. Start your finances with Jesus. Let the cornerstone first, lay the cornerstone first and lay everything else on top of that on him. Apart from Jesus, nothing works. Everything crumbles. That's the moral story of the story. That's the moral uh, you know, of the story, okay? Okay, so we, we, we got to the part where Daniel gets a promotion now. So we looked at the problem, the, the prayer, the praise, the prophecy, and now the promise, right? Let's read verse 46. There's some really good stuff in here. The king Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face. What does the king do again? He falls down to worship Daniel. Interesting. This may seem strange to us and weird, but this is what we do. This is what you and I do. If you don't know God, to worship God, you worship people. We, we, we call it the fear of men. We get caught up in this too as Christians. The fear of men, which is ultimately to live for their approval, to live for their pleasure, to, to live for their provision. You change who you are, what you think, what you do, so they will approve of you. Social media doubles down on the fear of men, which is the counterfeit to the, to the fear of the Lord. King Nebuchadnezzar still doesn't understand God. God comes with Daniel, but the king worships Daniel. He's still confused. Isn't it interesting? Daniel kneels before the king of kings, Jesus, and then stands before the king, Nebuchadnezzar. And the king kneels before the one who knelt before the king of kings. You need to know that this is our future, church. This is our future, the future of the children of God. That if you kneel before your king, Jesus, today, you will stand with your king, Jesus, forever. 
and others will kneel down as you rule and reign in the kingdom of God alongside Jesus Christ. This could have been a real opportunity for Daniel, though. How many of us, if we were Daniel, we'd be like, I'll roll with that. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. He's making a song about me. Whatever. I think I have a pretty good face. Oh, yeah, you can roll with this. But Daniel doesn't allow himself to be worshipped. He keeps bringing the glory, the glory back to God, even, even when those who are present do not understand what's going on. He could have taken advantage of that, but he doesn't. So King Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel, and Daniel is now at the top of the org chart over all the wise men in Babylon. He is now the Bible teacher in Babylon. He is running the University of Babylon. Wouldn't that be awesome if all the universities were run by a Bible teacher? Lord, make it so. As we are approaching the end of the chapter, let's look at a couple of things about Nebuchadnezzar really quickly. There's things that we can learn from him and then from Daniel really quickly. Number one, here's what we learn from Nebuchadnezzar. You can ultimately revere God in your mind without receiving God in your heart. Isn't that true? Nebuchadnezzar, he reveres God and he doesn't receive God. Both Daniel and him revere God, but only Daniel receives God. My question to all of us today, have you received Jesus Christ as your God? It's not just enough to revere him, to admire him, to fear him even. You need to receive him for a life-changing and eternity-altering relationship. Number two. Anyone can admire God's power, but only God's children can experience God's power. Nebuchadnezzar is like, that's so awesome, that's so incredible, your God is so cool, wow, can I be your friend or whatever? And Daniel's like, you're missing the point. This is the spirit-filled life that you and I are called and designed to live. This is the life God designed for me to live for his glory alone. God does not want you to admire him. He wants you to experience his presence and power. Number three, two things that we can learn from Daniel. Be a good citizen until the point that you can no longer be a good Christian. We're going through a little bit in the last couple of years, a little bit of that, right? So Daniel faithfully, lovingly, dutifully serves Babylon up until the point where it makes him more Babylonian and less of a believer. Be a good citizen up until the point that you can no longer be a good Christian. When the government asks of you something that is contrary to the word of God, you should still continue to be a child of God and act like it. That's number one priority. I don't care who says what. But you don't have to be a faithful citizen if it gets in the way of obeying God. I think we get this, right? And number four, your faith is to be public and not just private. People say, well, you know, faith is a private matter. Just keep it to yourself, man. You Christians, you always have to, you know, be loud about it. No. Our God rules over all. And so all is under his jurisdiction and dominion. And Daniel is very public about his faith. He's public about he praises God. He prays loud. He prophesies publicly. It is a public and not a private faith. And here's the summum bonum. The summum bonum is the Latin expression meaning the highest or the ultimate good. The summum bonum of this text that we just went through today. I know it was a lot. God knows 
God rules. God reigns over absolutely everything and everyone. And history and time are in his hands. And this is fixed and unchangeable. The story of human history is ultimately going to culminate with the second coming of Jesus Christ. As a result, this is, as a result of this amazing news, this is to give us clarity and comfort, you guys. And courage in the midst of our life here in our Babylon. We need to be reminded that nothing catches God by surprise. Nothing is out of God's control. If God isn't freaked out, you don't need to freak out either. If God knows the future, trust in Him because He knows the future. And, and, and just know that He's got to figure it out for you. That's the story of Daniel. And, and, and in a sense, this is our story too because we serve the same God. And we're at war against, you know, the same kingdom, the spirit of Babylon. I'm ending with this. Did everything that Daniel prophesied 600 years before the first coming of, of Christ happen? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The cornerstone not cut by human hands, King Jesus shows up. He's born under the Roman Empire. He comes the first time in humility, born in a manger. He's coming the second time in glory. Now, let me just say this. This is rather curious and fascinating at the same time and absolutely amazing. Some people show up to visit Jesus after he was born. We actually have this in our nativity story, right, that we talk to our kids about. Who are these people that visit Jesus? The wise man, the magi. They make a long journey. Here's what's curious. Daniel has to make a 700-mile journey to Babylon. From Babylon come the magi, which means magician. They make the 700-mile journey back to meet the real king. They, they were taught by their father's 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 father. So Daniel becomes the chief Bible teacher in Babylon. He taught them the prophecies and the word of God. They believed in the word of God for 600 years. The descendants of the magicians that Daniel taught were the magi who came from the east to see the fulfillment of prophecy and to welcome the real king, King Jesus. They knelt down in his presence and they were the first worshipers of Jesus in the New Testament. They are the direct descendants, I believe, and most commentators believe, of the Babylonian magicians, hence magi is short for magicians. Furthermore, they bring these gifts, three gifts, what are they? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Could this be, I was just thinking about this, could this be part of the gold from Babylon? The kingdom of gold. I wonder if the plunder that was stolen from the temple when Babylon took over Jerusalem and the gold vessels that, vessels that, that were taken to Babylon were kept by those who learned the Bible from Daniel, waiting for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the king, and wanted to return to him his rightful gold. Just a thought. In addition to gold, what was the second and the third gift? Frankincense, right? That's, that's for priests and worship and prayer and, and praise. And then myrrh, which is an embalming fluid for a dead person that was meant for Jesus' burial preparation. And all of these gifts... Do nothing else but point us, show to us that Jesus is king. That's gold. 
that Jesus is the high priest, that's frankincense, and then that our King Jesus would come to die that we might live, that's myrrh. How fascinating is that? There's so much here, but let me just say this. If you put yourself under Bible teaching, it could affect 600 generations of your family. And when King Jesus shows up again, I'd love to see people with your last name running to meet him. That's why we planted a church. That's why we planted a church. That's why we opened the word of God. So let me just close with this. Today, we live right on the precipice of history. I think we do. We're on the edge. The prophecies have been fulfilled. We're waiting for what? For Jesus' coming, his second coming. For Jesus Christ to come again as king and kings and lord of lords and to set up a kingdom that never ends. And to raise you and I from the dead and to wipe every tear from our eyes and to provide for all of our needs and to bring healing into our bodies. Because let's be honest, our king is not like King Nebuchadnezzar or any other Nebuchadnezzar. Jesus is the real and rightful king. You wouldn't come into the presence of King Nebuchadnezzar unless he invited you. But the Bible tells us that our King Jesus, who owns the universe, sits on a throne and he rules from the throne room. And that he welcomes his children to come into his presence to receive mercy and grace in our time of need. That means that right now, church, right this very moment, this very second right now, we have access to the throne room of grace and mercy. How amazing is that? Oh, wow. Let's stand. Thanks for tuning in to the Summit Church Garden City Podcast. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you live for more.